All right, we're back at it. We are back again. Uh, we have a all-star cast. We have Matt Belinsky in the spot. What's up, Matt? What's going on, Ben? What's up, Matt? We we have none other than Scoop Jardine back in the house again. Right. Man, we're getting lucky. We're getting lucky. We have like point guard skills here at Chance Pending right now. All right. And then, of course, we have none other than Jordan Dumars. What's going on, fellas? What's up? Happy uh, Thanksgiving week. Yeah, man. It's a beautiful Monday morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have to get to it with Matt Belinsky. I'm, I I feel very lucky to have Matt Belinsky here. Matt Belinsky is like, basically, I idolize Matt Belinsky oh, wow. here in Los Angeles. <laughs> I do. live up to right off the bat. I do, right. I do. So, uh, so, Matt, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Give them 30 seconds. Um, and then let's get into some topics because I really feel like we have a lot to talk about today. Sure. Um, so first and foremost, uh, transactional attorney representing, you know, primarily entrepreneurs, those who invest, uh, the, the businesses that entrepreneurs start and those who invest in those businesses in the L.A. community um, and also advising, you know, startup companies um, a lot in digital media and also any just high growth, early stage company that's looking to find ways to um, ex expand their brand, um, find new distribution channels for their product, uh, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, beyond that, just uh, and, and represent both representing them legally and finding ways for them to leverage and, and grow their business. Why we wanted to have you on here is that you represent a who's who of entertainers, entrepreneurs, celebrities, athletes, you, you do it all. And you are sitting at the intersection here in Los Angeles, literally in Beverly Hills, making it happen. So we wanted you here today to give us your perspective on how business is changing, how people are approaching things differently today than they used to. We want sure. Scoop to, to give us his perspective as a top-notch athlete. So uh, why don't you walk us through, just give us a little bit of a taste of what your work is like mm -hmm. and how you're helping entrepreneurs today what what's going on today with with your clients sure um so i just think you know we, we have a really diffuse environment right now um you know the companies are starting at a more rapid rate than they ever have before they're scaling at a more rapid rate than they ever have before and they're doing it in more innovative ways um and obviously you know we we in this conversation, we're looking at it from, you know, how that, that intersects with how athletes are, are involved in business, how athletes are leverage, leveraging their persona to help those businesses. Um, so what I think you're seeing, you know, and very much uh, with a lot of the businesses that I work with is how they're using social media, um, how they're using um, social media influencers or people or at traditional athletes and entertainers who happen to have a social media presence um, to do so. Um, and I think that, you know, you're... Uh, these, these athletes and influencers are able to speak to their audiences very directly and businesses, instead of having to look through, look to traditional marketing channels are using, are using those valves more often. Um, and that could be, you know, traditional, but that, that could be businesses that are helping traditional brands to, to access that audience more directly. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a lot of um, Fortune 500 and legacy brands that are uh, veering away from their traditional advertising agencies and looking to, you know, looking to uh, whether it be individual influencers or influencer marketing companies or, or other or, or or other firms that are leveraging social media in a variety of ways to get to get to their audience and what you know and and to kind of highlight and and draw some attention to new products um, in interesting ways through those platforms. That's so cool. Can you give us an example of of like what someone might approach you uh, for on something like this? 
Like how, how, how does that work? Um, you know, whether it could be in certain respects, I'm representing some of these influencers and athletes, you know, just, just generally in their business activities. Um, so it could be a brand saying, Hey, I, I want to do a collaboration or have this influencer, um, appear at an event that, that we happen to be throwing to launch a product or something along those lines. Um, I've got some other clients that are kind of forming cottage industry businesses around social media and social media influencers. Um, and that it may be leveraging a, an ensemble, um, of an ensemble of influencers to say, okay, we want to access these three or four people. Um, they might be perhaps even put some content, you know, put some content together that we're, is going to integrate a, pro a new product that, that we're launching uh, into the content. For instance, one, uh, one piece of consumer electronics that, you know, happens to be um, very useful to NBA players that are traveling on the road saying, hey, okay, you know, we, we want to seed this product with those NBA players. Um, but we also want them to start putting together some video content of them using the product, um, of, of them interacting with it, and you know how how this pro how this piece of consumer electronics, um, it, you know, is is really useful, you know, in our travels and and kind of plays into the mobility of our lifestyles. Um, so that's those are the types of deal, uh, just a, an example, of the type of deal deal that I would be working on. All right, I have a question, uh, a little different. What would you, as a millennium, what would you give? young millennial uh advice when you're trying to start a company like three just give me three three different i'd say one um and you know I, i'll maybe we'll start off with some of the things that i see young entrepreneurs overlooking when they start a company um one is budgeting i'd say you know a lot of people they a lot of entrepreneurs they start off with a vision of what the next three to six months is going to cost but not what the next 18 to 24 months is going to cost um, because you know you're going to be out there looking for investors. You're going to want to put together a very secure deal with an investor. And a lot, I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are cutting deals with the initial money that comes in just for you know the first nine, the, the, you know just just to get a product out just the next year. And let's say okay, this investor is going to give you two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and that may justify, you know justify giving them a certain piece of the company but what happens when that money runs out right. so once you get through a couple hundred thousand dollars or get through what however much money it takes to get a product into the market and start getting some traction okay then you have to go raise more and you want to be in a position you know necessarily where you haven't given away too much of the company um to you know once you have to go ahead and add more more players to your cap table um and you know and, and start dividing up the company um a little more granularly so i think budgeting and envisioning what your investor deals are going to look like not through just the first phase but the second and third phase uh, i think is really important also you know picking the right partners um i think a lot of people kind of default to the 50 50 deal with whoever they happen to start a company with um that 50 50 deal is the worst the worst the worst yeah and I think that you gotta you gotta project forward to a future where whoever you are working with right now may find some other interests, right? So you know you never know. They they find another startup that they're looking to work on. They find uh, enlightenment and want to move to Nepal for a couple of years, and you don't want to be stuck there with a fifty fifty deal with someone who's not going to be working on the business any longer. Um, so trying to put together some mechanisms within whatever deal you you construct with your partner over what what happens if someone loses interest or leaves or takes a reduced role in the business, I think those are all some things that that first time or or you know younger entrepreneurs should be looking at. That's great advice. I feel like entrepreneurs always screw this. Up. Yeah, yeah. The the deep, I'd say seventy percent of lawsuits is 
uh, arise out of the default to 50-50 with your first partner. Yeah, yeah, totally. Now, uh, how are companies, I, my question to you, Matt, is how are um, the smartest entrepreneurs, how are they using influencers right now? Like when you're doing influencer deals, wh what do those deals look like? Mm -hmm. Like on both ends, like how should our audience as influencers think about it and how our audience as entrepreneurs should, should they think about it? I think the, you know, I think it's really a matter of duration and term. I, th I see the most successful businesses that are started around athletes and entertainers or leveraging athlete, entertainer, influencer personas really have someone that has skin in the game. Um, so some, you know, when I see someone who really, when I see someone utilize, uh, uh, when I see a, a, a business that started around a personality and they really have a vision to participate in the business and really sink their heart and soul into it for two, three years, that increases your chances of success about 80%. When it's treated more as kind of a piecemeal sponsorship deal where you might, may have someone tweeting or Instagramming from a, for a couple months here or there or participating in one set of events across, you know, spring or, or summer or a season or two, that you, you don't really get your enduring value for that. So I'd say that finding someone who really connects with your brand, who really has a vision to participate in the brand and wants to make whatever your company is part of their own personal brand, that those are really, you know, the most effective methods of, of utilizing these people in their, in their platforms. Yeah, JD, have you seen that? Have you seen when you, with the athletes you work with, are you setting them up for success with endorsements by trying to make them sort of like a deeper, sort of a deeper level of engagement? Oh yeah, for sure. I think that's the key at this point. I think um, I think um, having a, a a fan base or a community that you actually engage with is everything. Um, so yeah, I, I mean it's tough. I mean we we were talking a little bit about this off camera. It depends, and I think Matt you spoke to it. Just um, it depends on the personality. You got guys that that's uncomfortable for them to do. You know, they're not engaging people in real life. So how do you expect them to be engaging on um, a social media platform? But yeah, that's part of that's part of the learning curve, um, trying to get guys to step outside of their shell sometime and try new things. And then, you know, you come up on a Joel Embiid and he makes it real easy. Yes. Like, you know, so it's, it's you know, it's varies with what type of guy it will be. And I think that, you know, the one way to frame this is to think about it in terms of the attention economy is that people only have so much attention, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day and people's attention is, is more, you know, is, is more spread out and spread more, uh, spread more thin than ever before right now. So if you're using a uh, Joel Embiid or a social media influencer, uh, they've got so many deals, you know, or, or in the case of Joel or other NBA, Joel or other NBA athletes, they've got all their on, on court or on field activities to focus on. And so, you know, no matter how much they may be motivated to participate in your business, they've, they've only got so much attention to put towards it. So if you build a deal with them that only has a, you know, a confined set of deliverables or only has a confined scope, they're only going to put that much time and attention towards it. If you think bigger and you really try to, to integrate someone deeply into your company and make them a focal point, they're just by nature going to put more time and attention towards it. And that, you know, instead of your deal being crowded out in their mind, it's going to crowd out the other deals that are kind of a little more piecemeal for them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Scoop, I mean, you've probably done a few endorsements in, in your day. Uh, Is... Well, yeah, a few. A few. Not, yeah, yeah, not big ones, like when I did a few. Yeah, but I mean, what's your experience with this? Do you feel like that's accurate? That's that's on point. Yeah, it all depends on the, the athlete. 
like for me personally, I was like, I'm easy. I'm like Joel Embiid. I'm I'm very engaging. Uh, a lot of athletes aren't, especially the guys like I take a Derrick Rose for example. If you see all his commercials, he's not doing no talking. He's not everything is him moving. He's a reserved guy. Yeah, he's a reserved guy. So Adidas did a great job of putting him out there that way, making him how they market him. I'm just use that for example. So you look at a James Harden for example. He's he's talk he's talkative. He's he's outgoing. And you see how Adidas is marketing him. So it all depends on gear to the athlete. For me personally, I was I'm a, I'm a very outgoing guy. So a lot of brands love to work for me. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about like what about have you seen? Um, we know you're friends with a lot of musicians and so forth. Is it the same thing with musicians? Yeah, it's a little. Musicians are a little. It's the talent. If you're dealing with any talent, there, you know. You got some. You got to jerk off. Some, you, right? If you, <laughs> right, right. If you're dealing with talent, talent is gonna want to be jerked off or gonna want to <laughs> be patted on the back. You know. So I think from a marketing perspective, you got to gear everything towards what you're driving towards the talent. Totally, totally. So, so Matt, uh, have to say you are a great Instagram <laughs> and Facebook follow. Very flattered. Yes, uh, Matt. Matt has social media skills himself. How how did you learn the game? Like, I feel like this makes you like a triple threat uh, in 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 the I lawyer like game. I, like I feel that. like he's a triple threat. I like that. How, how does that work? You know, it was a lot a lot of trial and error, and um, some of it was just uh, you're also kind of beta testing constantly to see what you feel, see what what you feel comfortable with, see what resonates with your audience, and. You know, and also, I mean, you're, you're always on social media um, considering, you know, whether or not something makes sense to share, right? Um, whether it's, you know, a, a perspective of yours, a piece of business information, um, or, and, and I think it's, you know, you're slowly but surely chipping away at a lot of surrounding ice and a lot of hesitation to find, okay, here's what I, I genuinely believe, here's what I genuinely think, and people are, you know, nine times out of 10, that's what's going to resonate best on social media. If you find, um, you know, if you if you find a new company that you think people are going to want to hear about, you find a an article or a post about current events that you think you're just like, okay, you're showing what you find interesting, mm-hmm. right? And, and, you know, eventually, you're, you're kind of you're putting some trust in there that, that your genuine interests are going to be appealing to other people. Um, so, you know, I think you just gotta, and obviously being conscious of it and, and, you know, and somewhat tactful, but to, you know, to kind of put your interests and in, in your thoughts out there as, as genuinely as possible and kind of start seeing what the, what type of feedback and engagement you get and uh, just, you know, have a little faith that what you find compelling, other people will find compelling as well. I have a question, Matt. Sure. Uh, have you ever been on the other side where it backfired against you on social media? Like far as sure. yeah, well, yeah, negative? Yeah, I mean, you could always imagine that anything that people, you know, are, are if you're going to get in some some discussions or some, right. you know, I don't want to call them fights, but particularly in the NBA Twitter world, right? Right, right, right? And you could always consider anything that people push back on to be something that backfires. Um, but you just got to, I think you kind of just accept that that's, that's part of the game, that if you're, if you're, disclosing your opinions other people are going to have other opinions right. and um you know you can't necessarily think about it as backfiring it's more so just a discourse 
And um, it's the type of thing that used to only be done on Saturday, you know, Sunday morning talk shows, right? Mm -hmm. And now it's something that just about everybody can participate in. So just have to have some tolerance for that. I, I feel like That's Scoop is on something here, though, because Matt, I've I've seen your your Facebook and Instagram, and I feel like you you uh, you have been a lightning rod at times for for certain stuff. Have you ever felt like, man, I went too far? Like, yeah, did you have that yeah, feeling where you're like, man, damn? I had I had that feeling in college. Really? Yeah. Oh man, I got yeah, almost got in trouble. I I jumped in on on Twitter. Mm -hmm. It was a, uh, the trending topics. You know the trending topics. Yeah. I got in on one, and I it's what college taught me. That was the topic. Oh no. And I I forgot I was an athlete for for a second. But this around a time where Twitter was just, I didn't know when you put that out there that was you. You know what I'm saying? Like this was, I was in college, it was probably 2010. So I put out a lot of stuff that was, again, like I was engaging with, with my followers who I thought, I forgot Channel 10 was like, you know, news people was following me. When I looked, my tweet was on a, on the news, in Syracuse news. What'd you say? Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a lot of, it was like 10 tweets, but one of them was, it was, uh, and I was basically referring to, we. I got in trouble when I was in college. Well, I didn't get into, we got accused of a rape case when I was in school, me and two of my teammates. So one of my tweets was geared towards the girl lying on us, basically, oh, you know? Wow. Like, yeah. because I felt, there was something, again, I felt that, but again, you can't put that out there. Like, so I did, during it, I was playing around with a lot of, you know, the trending topics, and I put it out there in a joking form, and it backfired. Mm -hmm. And I had a meeting with Bayham the next day, the, the AD, the, uh, Everybody, you know, everybody was a part of the school there. I had a meeting with them because I was the starting point guard, I was the leader of the team, and that just didn't look right. So from that day on, I've, I've learned how to use social media. Does sure. that make any sense, you know, because I didn't know I was in college at the time and, and it backfired on me. Mm -hmm. and that's why I asked you that question. Yeah, you, could, you could imagine, I mean, that certain people you're in contact with, you know, might, I don't know, right? Because if you, Consider the possibility that some people that you were friends with or had a relationship with, your relationship might be impacted by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, if you're speaking to that many people, you'd imagine that, you know, just by the numbers game, eventually somebody's gonna uh, feel less good about the relationship with you, you know, because of some some discussion you might have. So yeah, by that measurement, by that estimation, sure, you know, there's always it, it, it there, there's always some negatives that could come about. Yeah, when you get that text from Beheim, like we gotta talk. Yeah, I was. You were like, oh, oh and <laughs> or after a bad game or a loss, you know, you, everybody got they, they can voice their own opinion on social media. Sure. So I used to get it. Like I go and just type my name in on Twitter, Scoop Jardine. Oh, and then read. Not they don't they don't add you though. They just mm -hmm. say your name. Man, it was. That's one of the worst decisions you can make. You, man. Oh man, I used to fight. I used to do it though. I wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to see what they was talking about. Yeah. You know, that fueled me. But you had a burner account like KD. <laughs> I don't know. Never. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely. That's taking it to the next level. Man, I that's don't know. Crazy. He, yeah. He's smart. What about the Sixers owner? No, no, the, uh, the wife, GM, the GM, Colangelo. Yeah. They blamed it that on the wife. Yeah, he blamed it on the wife. That was him. Yeah, <laughs> he had like five accounts. Right. I feel like we still haven't really acknowledged how crazy that story is. Yeah. That's a 30 for 30 in the right. Movie. It gotta be. That just kind of passed, like, you know, went through the public conversation, like, course of a week or so. I mean, that's nuts. And we all know he's not the only one. You know how many the accounts got deleted right after that? Like, oh, really? Shit, I gotta clean it up. I'm right. just saying, like, one oh, of the sure. eyes is just one of them. Like, right, yeah. for sure. He learned that from somebody else. Yeah, one out of 30 of these guys doing it? Nah, it's, 
I'd say it's at least six or seven. Maybe. For sure. Have you ever uh, liked a photo from so, like someone's old photo from like four years that ago you didn't by miss? accident? Yeah. Oh man, that's the worst uh, feeling. My bro. boy just did that. Um, yeah. That's the another worst. story we'll yeah. talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That yeah. is the worst though. Nah, uh, walking on thin ice while you're doing that back scroll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like everybody's been there at some point. Mm -hmm. I do that on my fiance uh, page when I be lurking on it. I don't be wanting to let me let her know that I'm on there, and sometimes I like it. There yeah, I'm go. watching you. There you go. Um, yeah. So, so on the social media front, uh, Matt, like, what what's your take on this? Do you feel like, uh, are you do you feel like it's for your work? Do you feel like it's necessary? To doing a great job to like because i know like it just sort of feels like it's table stakes at this point right like scoop scoop's doing his thing because he's scoop like do you feel like you have to um i'm interested as like because sure. you're an entrepreneur of sorts mm -hmm. like do you feel like it just needs to be part of your game at this point are you like reeling it back like tell us where what your status is with social i don't think it's an absolute necessity um but i think you can all hey it's just like any other communication platform right you know there, there were you know, prior eras where people were uh, where the people were using newsletters. Uh, people are still obviously using email lists, and some people find that to be a really effective strategy. Uh, you know, it's however if you have good ideas or good information, um, however you can share that information. You know, if you're doing it right, however you can share that information to a wider audience or to to the right audience makes sense. Um, so you know, whether it, if if I can use platforms to you know highlight the relationships that I have um, or what I do. Um, I think that can be really effective, you know, but, but it, obviously when you do start, when you do have, a, have a, a profile or have a voice that, you know, that covers a lot of different topics, you want to like, okay, which ones are the best use of my time? Um, which ones are, you know, if, if, am I trying to speak to too many different audiences? That's, that's definitely something to be aware of. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's something that can be refined, particularly when you're, you know, when you're trying to cover a lot of different categories that you might, it might fluctuate that you want to focus on one category, another for a certain, for a certain period. So, um, you know, I, 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 like I said, I don't think it's a necessity. I think it can be very useful. Um, it just matters what your, what your intent is, uh, what your goals are. And, you know, whether at, during a certain period you feel inspired or you feel ha that you have really productive information to kind of gear towards those objectives. How, how are you selling yourself now? Like, how do you sell your services and so forth? Like, mm -hmm. do you feel like it's an added advantage to what you do? Oh, absolutely. Like, like I said, anything that can anything that get that, you know, can expose you to a larger audience, particularly when you're trying to build a network in, in a community and utilize that network effect. Um, and it, listen, it can be used, it can be used productively or it can be used cor corrosively. Um, but you know, I'm thinking is the potential there or for like people like my, whether it be myself or people like myself is the potential there to utilize it, um, to grow your business, to grow your relationships and to find new opportunities for the people who are within your network. Absolutely. Scoop, Scoop, what's your game plan? Like what's, what's your social game plan? Uh, I don't really have one. I asked, I asked Matt off the off the air <laughs> to teach me, but honestly, you gave me the great advice. Which just you know, just gotta be you, you know. Hopefully, everybody, you know, engage in it. But I have a question. Sure. A lot of these CEOs, like, uh, big like owners of companies, big time owners, they they against 
social media. Sure. Could you explain why that? I think because it's they've you know in the the corporate world and the in the corporate world I think hasn't really determined how to handle social media. Um, so I think that with anything you're going to get some negative feedback, right? Right. So they. My, my opinion is a lot of these organizations, a lot of companies, and a lot of a lot of teams are overreacting to some of the negative feedback. I so agree. It's like anytime anyone, the the threshold for controversy is so low that pretty much nearly anything a player is going to say or a team is going to say has the potential for some controversy. And the, the issue is, you know, fifty angry people or fifty people who just had a bad day and wanted to make some negative comment about whatever was said or whatever transpired, that gets filtered up to the, the you know the the corporate the, the media relations department or the marketing department and everybody freaks out, right? right? And so I think that NBA owners and a lot of executives and CEOs are trying to minimize the fallout the fallout and the blowback and just don't want don't you know, because they feel the need to do damage control for anything that even smells of a controversy, they don't want to have to deal with it. True. Makes sense. Yeah, it's such a wild time because uh, it's more necessary than ever to get attention and to stand out. However, it's never been a more nerve wracking time to, you know, constantly feel like you're on the cliff uh, with offending people and uh, outrage culture and so forth. There are a lot of angry people on the internet and, you know, they could be angry at your company or your organization. And, you know, I think nobody wants to be the person that ignored at an organization wants to be the person that ignored that and then let something spiral. So people are just trying to trying to find a organizations are trying to find a way to minimize the conversation overall or the or, or you know, yeah, minimize the conversation, period. Man, I've been meaning to ask you something. I wanted to wait till we got it on camera, though. Um, so. You say you're an attorney for entrepreneurs. Sure. And I feel like that's like a, a 2018 profession because as we know, you know, entrepreneurs, it's cool now, but like you always say, Ben, 10 years ago, that wasn't cool. So like, can you give us like a little background? Because I'm sure like when you went to law school, you weren't thinking that this is what you would be doing. Sure. So what like was the origins of what did you initially think and how sure. did it even develop into this? Yeah, when I went to law school, I was more focused on the traditional entertainment industry, which was film, television, you know, as it existed, you know, I'd say more towards the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, I was in the, the entertainment and media law and policy program at UCLA Law School okay. um, on the scholarship for that program and was kind of aimed towards going and, you know, maybe either could have segued into working at a studio or a production company or being an entertainment lawyer representing talent and doing those deals. Um and then, you know, I could slowly but surely see over the first couple of years out of school, like 2006, seven and eight, for instance, my first job was with a film company that in 2007 was cranking, making 12 films a year, just come off uh, winning an Oscar. And a year and a half later, they were pretty much out of business. And when you're referring to that, like you passed the bar, you're an official attorney and everything at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, all right, I got you. So I was an attorney for, for like I said, for a film production company, cranking, making, making 12 movies a year. And just the, you know, between what occurred with the recession and the first inklings of what was happening with the shift towards social and digital media, you know, that really slowed down. The independent film world slowed down. And I could just see the, the wind shifting towards the late 2000s. Um, so, you know, the way that I kind of cut my, my teeth on that was a guy I knew who had uh, 
a guy I know who, who graduated a few years ahead of me in high school, I uh, read in the local newspaper that he had just raised, you know, a, a series A financing for a social media company. Um, it was called DocStock. Um, and it was about, you know, a, a, a website and repository for professional documents. So Jason Nazar. Yeah, 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 Jason Nazar. Yeah. Jason's great. Shout out to Jason. Absolutely. Um, and so I just kind of reached out to him one day and was like, hey, you know, I see what you're doing is really interesting. Um, I heard you just, you know, raise this round. I'd love to come work with you a bit and, and get a peek underneath the hood at what a, you know, at that point, people had heard of, you know, MySpace and Facebook, and you're aware of a few of the, the, you know, the first few big social media companies and platforms, but it hadn't really spread to the wider business community. Yeah. So I asked Jason to come work with him for a bit. And I saw, okay, this is how you build uh, a social media platform, but this is how you build an online community. Um, and that kind of, and just being part of that world kind of showed me, you know, this is the future. This is the way that the winds are shifting. So um, these social media skills don't come from anywhere. It's a story to do. I knew it was something. Man. Something, right? Um, and so that led to me, the first phase of, of Silicon Beach startup companies in LA, back when the, there, were, there wasn't really a connection between these startups, these software platforms and traditional media. Um, I had a lot of relationships at management companies, agencies, and whatnot. And so I made some of those connections. Like, okay, this company has a, a, a self-serve platform to create mobile applications. Okay, let's get you in touch with some, some sports teams, some reality TV uh, personalities, some people at agencies that are representing you know, uh, media personalities that are gonna need the, these services things like that. Um, and just, I, I kind of saw that, you know, the shift to digital, um, that everything interesting was happening in this world. And yeah. and with the, the bar being lowered for entrepreneurialism and for getting a, a software product or a platform out into the marketplace, that a lot more people were gonna be starting companies and, and following that path. And things in traditional, you know, independent or studio film or episodic television, all of a sudden didn't seem quite as interesting. Gotcha. Yeah. Did you ever think at that point, like, say, seven, eight, nine, around that time, that you would be sitting here today and there would be such thing as, I represent Instagram stars, Instagram personalities? Did you see that or did that develop later? That took a little while longer, right? right? Because, and the, you got to remember, like, around the turn of the decade, there still wasn't much money in, in, in it. You right. know, trying to get $5,000 an episode for a webisode series, I mean, was still, that was hefty. Now, you know, people are getting... Social media stars are getting five hundred thousand dollars for for a, a you know month six week campaign. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, there's some that are getting five thousand. No, some that are getting fifty thousand. Some that are getting five hundred thousand. I'm looking at that five hundred thousand. Right, right, right. It's a good business goal. Oh yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> so you were seeing the first generation of uh, of, of people who would become famous based purely on YouTube or or Twitter um, or Facebook or even MySpace. Still at that point. Um, and so you could see a, a, some of the writing on the wall, but I think really what happened was that with, you know when Instagram took off because that was visual, and that I, I think that was the real game changer. Um, and you see how you know how the interplay between Instagram and YouTube has really helped a lot of people build their careers, and and something that you know like I said is more fluid, um, visual as opposed to Facebook and Twitter, which are which are you know more are are the written word or, or you know is. It, published information, but not something that's live and active. I think that's really when you saw the the full shift over to, okay, this is how people will be discovered. Um, 
and start building their own personal brands. Yeah, I'd go I'd go further and say that I, I like what you said about the image with Instagram mm-hmm. because social media is all about word of mouth, mm-hmm. right? It's word of mouth and then you have the ability to go buy whatever the person was recommending. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit different than just a pure ad, right? right? Like early 2000s when I was at YouTube and so forth, we had ads, of course. But it's different when the influencer themselves says, you know what? I love this thing. Like, I love this product. I use this product every day. Let me show you how the product works. And I'm not even getting paid from this thing. That's how much I love this thing. That's when stuff started to take off. And that happened on Instagram and YouTube. Um, That's that's the game. Right. And so all of a sudden, all of this ad supported stuff had to say, wait a minute. How do we start playing with the actual content creators? themselves. Yeah. Okay. Uh, here's an interesting way I like to look at it. You remember direct response marketing infomercials? Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's the whole the differentiator with infomercials was they're trying to get you to buy something right now. Like OxyClean. It, it, sure. Yeah, right. absolutely. Right. You know, or uh, stuff with Ron Popeil. I don't know that the slap chop guy. Yeah. And I was like, okay, here's the content. Here's the advertisement. Call this number right now and order. Right. And I think that the confluence of the internet, e-commerce, and social media turned all of the internet into direct response marketing, right? Because right? anytime you're highlighting, a, obviously, you know, people are using online marketing and using online digital content for a variety of purposes, not all to, to generate a sale right there. But it really shortened the distance between the the advertisement or the, you know, the exposure of the product in a, sa- in a sale transaction. Yeah. And I think that that was a big driver of, of one of commerce and how media personalities and people who are creating content started to think about, all right, here's, here's how we're going to be utilizing our content and our personalities. Right. I think um, the parallel, parallels that you see coming over into sports with what you're talking about in terms of um, how um, you know social media is is more of a traditional way to do marketing at this point is interesting. Um, I sent Ben an article probably a month or two ago. They did a big piece on Hoops Hype talking about, you know, the state of marketing and when it comes to sports in general, but specifically basketball and how I'm obviously not telling anybody in here um, anything you don't know, but um, like obviously you have your shoe deals, which will be more traditional, not traditional how big they are. No, they're the biggest they've ever been. But for example, um, you know, if you do a candy bar, you do a drink, you do whatever it may be, it's not so much they want to sign you to a one or two year deal anymore. It's three posts for $50,000 if mm-hmm. you're at a certain level. And I like that a lot. I yeah. think, I mean, and it's interesting also, like we talk about it all the time, Ben, like you could be, you know, a six time all star and have all the accolades in the world. But if you're a personality that's not appealing to people, you could be you know, the guy, the 13th man on the bench, but, you know, you've got an outrageous personality. You're more appealing in the marketing world today. I, yeah, I just find one, all one of the One of the things that J.D. and I have been talking about, and Scoop, we should tell you, sort of fill you in on it, is we've been saying that there's this this window of, of NBA athletes from 2000 to 2000, roughly 10, like 2008, 9, 10, where they sort of just missed the social media, like, if they were just around a few years later, they would they'd have their own social media following, right? There, there are guys like somebody. Like, just, we always say though, people. There's a few of them that like just caught it in the nick of time, but it's not even what it would have been. Like right. for example, I feel like Stephen Jackson. He caught it. Like he has a following, but imagine if he had it 
when he was running in the stands and shit. You know, like, yeah, Gilbert, yeah. Gilbert is outrageous. Gilbert, yeah. Dude, he's out there. Gilbert is outrageous. Like, it's a yeah. few of them. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Gilbert. You know, and I think the other thing is, before social media, the only athletes that had their own brands or even, you know, weren't necessarily even stars, the people who were really flashy and flamboyant, like yeah. Deion Sanders. Right, right, you had right. to be as good as Deion mm -hmm. and as flashy and as entertaining as Deion. Right, right, right. And, you know, so you had to pass both of those, you had to cross both of those thresholds. Yeah. And now, yeah, the, the opportunities there for anyone, if anyone, um, if, if anyone has a particular interest, like if, if you have a particular niche, um, or if you just happen to be entertaining and and want to participate in the conversation, you don't necessarily need to be the star, um, but and you don't necessarily need to be as as flamboyant as Dion, but right. you can you can generate some uh, some notoriety and you can build some sort of following, you know. Being, yeah, like who, a, who's that dude on the Sacramento Kings? Um, Willie Cauley Star. Yeah, like Willie, he's a great example. Yeah. How would an athlete out of the Sacramento Kings who aren't competing? Like how can a guy like that stand out? And I think he's doing his best to like stand out. Absolutely, social yeah. media, Iman. big personality. Yeah, Iman. yeah, same same idea. Iman helps playing with Brian over the last few no, years, yeah. but I'm with you for yeah. sure. Yeah, he went to Sacramento, but he's still. Yeah, nah, he's yeah. Iman. Um, I think another example. It might not even be you know Iman and and Willie are like big entertainment personalities. <laughs> I think like a whole another sector to this is. Um, <laughs> Two guys who, in my opinion, one in particular is really, really good, and then another one is really good in his own respect. JJ Reddick and CJ McCollum. Like CJ's you really wouldn't good. think that you know these guys would have huge following. Like to basketball junkies, we know how good those guys are, but to the masses, like these guys got podcasts that are doing great. Kent like, Bazemore, another one. Yep, Kent does Kent, a real good really, job. Yeah, they, uh, Ryan Hollins. Yep. Yeah, I was from following him too. What's surprising is some of the some of the dopest players in the NBA are sort of the worst, right. and, and some of the guys who you might not think of, like you're saying, Cat yeah. Bazemore, for example, is dope. He right? is dope. Like, yeah, that, that's yeah. that's an interesting thing to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, maybe some of the bigger guys don't. You know, they think that well, they need it. Might have, yeah, they well, or they, they think that they have other interests that uh, that they don't want to impact with it. Yeah. You know. How many how many guys can show up with uh you know the TNT crew? You know what I mean? Like they're only taking Chris Webber or Shaq. Like, yeah. like there's only room for like four of those guys. Or an exclusive right? interview with Amar, Amar Rashad or something like that. It's not too many. Yeah, Kent Bazemore is yeah. not getting yeah. that opportunity. He's not getting that, so know? he had to make his own platform. But yeah. if, I like the guys that use the NBA because that's the platform. Like I don't have to be as big as LeBron James. We talked about this in the last episode. I don't have to be as big as LeBron, but we're on the same floor. You know, like that's all that matters. Like the people that come see LeBron, they gonna see me too. Or the people that come see whoever the superstar is on that team, they are gonna see me also. If I'm on a bench or if I'm in a game, but that's my way of using my platform. And I think the guys do it, if they take that uh, that route, they, they do a great job. Yeah, I mean, I think Scoop, I think you're an interesting guy because I think you're a perfect example of someone, who, you can come compete in this arena as well as anybody at, right at this moment. Right, and you're competing against everyone. And I think you're going to do really well. Yeah, um, appreciate that. You know, appreciate you that. Have, you have this background. You got a little bit of a springboard. Appreciate that. But now you're like, you're like, you know what? I'm going to work hard at this and try and make. It I happen. finally figured out what I wanted to do. You know that that that's basically the battle right there. Is figuring out what you actually want to do first, and then taking that and 
putting all your energy and effort into that. And I take the same principles as I did when I played basketball, I was saying, and I'm doing that today. So I get up in the morning, I took yoga this morning, I woke, worked out, and now I come here. And this is like how I would go if I was going to go play a game, you know? And I'm taking the same, you know, the same focus that I would have if I was going to go play against a Georgetown or somebody. I came in here with that same intensity. Yeah. JD, JD alluded that, uh, you know, you have some, you have some pretty uh, friends in high places and so forth. Do they give you advice? Do they give you a little bit of help? Yes, I was very fortunate again to uh, to come across people that you know that you can learn from, and if you're willing to learn, you can learn from anybody, you know. Absolutely. And and that's one of the biggest things that I took. I can learn from anybody, and I and I and I'm open. I'm a I'm a sponge, and I soak everything up. And as a point guard, you can articulate that to the next, in which I've learned how to do. And going to Syracuse helped. You know, it's number one school for broadcasting and journalism. Totally. So you You're know, yeah, and I. My first job out of school, I worked for CBS SNY, and it was basically I stumbled on it. Like I never thought I would be on TV, and next thing you know, while me going to that school, number one school for broadcasting, I stumbled with a CBS job. You know, I have to admit, because I always was like, you know what, I'm down on the NCAA because you know they keep saying, oh, you know, the players get a scholarship, and that's why we're not paying them. And it made me so mad, right? But like hearing you say that. Makes me feel no. like you know what that actually that's great. That Man, it's not, not it's not perfect answer, but you know. Well, again, it's the platform. If Jordan is going to college and he's going for just I want to go to the NBA, I don't think that's per, I don't think he should go to college. You know, I think he should just try to go. He should have a shot on going to the NBA because when when I went to college, I knew I was going to be there for four years. I mean how. How crazy that sound, but I did. I wanted to be one and done, but I knew I was gonna be a four year player. I knew the whole process of it, you know? And and I and I took everything from that. And the kids who wants to be in college, they're gonna get the best out of it. And that's what I did. So all the alumni and everybody that I have gone forward throughout my I didn't make it to the NBA, so I had to figure life out and basketball helped me because it gave me that platform. Now I'm somewhat still famous where I didn't play I never played in the NBA. Never played Shit, I played two two seasons overseas, so it's like by playing in Syracuse for five years, that was my that was my platform, and I used it. So if you go to school knowing what you want out of it, you get the most out of it. But speaking on that, I think guys, even if they shouldn't be paid, uh, well, let me say this: somebody came up with a cool idea about guys getting paid, and I think this is the best way that you can go about it. Where nobody's gonna be able to get paid, right? But I think if if you put it into a pension for these kids. You know what I mean? Like where, see how much money Syracuse made off of us, yeah. right? And my five-year team, I don't know how much they made, but say now I'm retired. Now when I retire, I have my money back from when I played at Syracuse. You see what I'm saying? Like where I was still was able to go play and have a great student-athlete career, but, you know, they, the money that we made, I think they should give it back on the back end. Yeah, I read in, I read in the New York Times that uh, the difference between the NFL and NBA, NBA – gives you paychecks all year round, NFL will only pay you during the football season because they actually want you to spend your money and be dependent. And, and, and you know, you have to you have to keep... No, you don't get paid. You don't get paid to NBA all, all year round, dude? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Every two weeks, just like a regular job, I didn't right? Know that. So it helps you save, it helps you budget, it helps you do all these things you need to do as an adult, right? And I think that it, your suggestion with the, with the pension, pension yeah. that would be the same idea, right? Yeah. Which is like... Help set people up, help them plan, help them, you know, use this as a as a platform and a springboard, like you described. Yeah, it goes yeah. along with anything. Like that's how I started my company. I feel like they didn't leverage like all these 
big time people went to these prestigious schools, not just to play basketball, just in general. Like Syracuse got some of the top broadcasters come out of Marv Albert, Mike Tirico, like uh, the list goes on. And I never got a chance to meet Mike Tirico. You know what I mean? Like where he's did my game probably a million times, but he went to my school. I never got a chance to meet him until I walked into the studios off a, you know, broke I broke my foot and they walked me in and I got a job. But I feel like Beheim or the coaches that they should put a they should put these guys in front of us, you know, and that's how we find out what we want to do. Cool. All right, last question before before we wrap. How do you guys see what do you what do you see coming down the pipe? Do you see Matt, do you, do you see how do you see this whole influencer game sort of changing? Do you see any trends coming? Anything popping up that sure. that that comes to your head? I think one you're going to get some consolidation. Um I think that your people are going to recognize who the relevant influencers are, the relevant athletes are. Um, and, you know, right now, the last couple of years, brands have been in startup businesses have been kind of throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. Uh, but they're trying to gather a lot of data around what's effective um, and what's working. And as they get more of that data, that's going to not kind of knock some of the smaller players out of the game or get brands to recognize, okay, these these people are not working. Um, only people who are above a certain threshold uh, are going to be relevant to us. Um, or, you know, in some other respects, I think some other businesses are, you're, I, I, better said, I think you're going to get a bifurcation between one, businesses that realize we only need to use, you know, really A-list people with massive followings, and then businesses that realize that we can use an army of smaller influencers that, that you know, are, um, that are, they're kind of, consistently activated and where the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? Um, so I think that's that's one trend you're definitely seeing. Um, and I think that, you know, also you're going to see some of these people become, as opposed to being, uh, as opposed to assisting businesses and helping other businesses scale, they're going to become, they're going to continue to become their own businesses. Um, they're going to start curating content themselves. You know, one, one um, influencer manager client of mine is very much convinced that, you know, that his clients are going to become the playlisters. They're going to become their own Spotify's, uh, their own Netflixes, and they're going to be programming content. And they're going to say, "Okay, here's uh, you know whether or not I'm a musician or whether or not I'm someone uh, who's you know creating a lot of video content or or an on-screen performer in the traditional sense. Um, I'm going to be you know programming programming content, saying, "Hey, here are the videos, and here's here are the videos, and here's the video content that I think my followers are going to want. Here's the music that I think my followers are going to want to want to hear, and they're going to become these these almost these little cable companies um, and programmers themselves. Um, and so I think that can translate into a number of different different industries. They're not just going to be curating content; they're going to be continue to curate product um, and any other types of services that you know that they think their followers are going to want to be exposed to. Um, so they're really going to, you know, the funnel is going to continue to increase uh, in terms of what types of products and services and, and, and categories of business that these influencers are curating and, and you know, and trying to present to their followers. That's dope. I, I got one for you, Matt. I always like to ask, I think I asked so off this last time. Oh, all right. Um, top three Instagrams. Oh, wow. Okay, exclude the Kardashians and the uh -huh. obvious ones. Like, give me some gems that people should follow that you like. All right, they know what they're doing. Got it. Oh, that could go in a lot of directions. It depends on. And I'm asking from a business perspective. Like, mm -hmm. maybe you might be biased because there's some of your clients, but I want to know like who's really doing it. Like, mm -hmm. who's faking? Who's really not? Not who's faking, but who's who's really doing it? Who's legit? Got it. One one guy I've worked with who I think is great um, is Matt Cutchell. He's um, 
you know, he was a, a, a got started on Vine um, in terms of the content that he's created and how it serves the brands that that he's doing deals with. I think he's just he's, it's really entertaining. Um, it's professional and it really serves the brand's interests really strongly. Um, some other uh, a, an ensemble of, of female fashion and beauty influencers that I've done some work with. Um, they're under the umbrella of a company called Foray, um, and that's like you I said. You do Foray? I didn't know that. What's up? You do Foray? A couple, a couple yeah. of the I've done some work with a couple God, of the girls really involved cool. in Foray. Yeah, really cool. um, and they, I think they've been really smart about. Okay, here's how we're going to take an ensemble of people who all are all you know focused on the same category um, and give a variety of perspectives. And, and kind of, you know, and leverage and create, you know, a sim symbiotic relationship amongst these influencers um, for for one one particular purpose. So I think they've done a great job. Um, and, you know, another a personal contact of mine from a long time ago, you know, uh, Peace Love Shay, she's done an amazing, she was, you know, so early in the in the game as a fashion blogger. Um, and, you know, and she is just, she's been able, she segued very very seamlessly and in a really constructive manner into doing work with big fashion brands and even expanding beyond that into being able to to work with and promote you know brands across a variety of industries um, and then you know build her own product lines on top of that with her swim line same swim um, I think she's done a really interesting a really interesting job as well gotcha love it so my prediction 2019 we will see someone in the NBA figure out this recipe yeah and create a media team around them. And we haven't seen this yet, right? We haven't seen this at the level I think it's going to go, right? Like Kardashian style, that level of media for a player. Player doesn't even have to be that good, like we talked about before. But I think we're going to see it in 2019. That person's going to become really interesting. You don't think it all depends on the market, though, that the player is playing in for that I, to happen? You know what? I really, I really feel like if the player is interesting enough, like we talk a lot about this, like no offense to my man Von Miller. Von Miller is amazing. He has something like 9 million followers on YouTube. But it's Von Miller just sort of living his life. Like, imagine when this player is really, really interesting and, like, has stuff going on and it's charismatic, has a little flavor, is young, right? Like, someone that's, like... I'm, I'm thinking someone that's, like, 19. Someone like our boy Showoff, who, who came here the other day, who has skills... Like we look at this kid came this kid came to uh, to hang out with us. His name is Show Off. He's like an Instagram master. He has millions and millions of followers. Yeah, what has, got him that nickname? <laughs> All right, Show Off. <laughs> but he's so he, he's just living a different Instagram than we are. Yeah, right? what you like mean he, by that? I mean, like hard to explain. He's living it. Yeah, it's it's young people use it differently. They communicate differently. True. Agree. Yeah. They, they do it differently, right? And like he's 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 got it, in, man. You got to check him out. I'm, like they I'm, really my, live on there. Like yeah, they he refers to people as Instagram names. No, I know. Like, you know, like that's, he, that, yeah, that's their life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think we're gonna see. I think we're gonna, some athletes gonna start to really figure this out. Yeah, and I think it's gonna be interesting. So that's that's my prediction. Uh, I have a question. How do you think Isaiah Thomas use it? Which one? Uh, uh, he's Endeavor. I wouldn't know. I don't, yeah. I don't really use Instagram. That's why I'm asking some yeah. questions. To... So here's here's a question. You know, what do you guys think about how, forget just social media, about how LeBron's approaching media, social media, his entire strategy? It's the best. Yeah. It's the best. Man, I, I'm, all, I'm, I'm all for whatever that guy does. He 
he speaks for the culture. And and I was just thinking about that when you mentioned that, Ben. You think there's gonna be a guy that um, like Zion point Zion. Yeah, yeah Zion's gonna be huge. Is he active? Does he have a voice? I really? think it should be Zion. If we that should yeah. be a 2019. It should be Zion though, because we need a new athlete. Because LeBron is what 34. Yeah. Well, we need somebody to come in that was educated like LeBron off the court, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because he took control of his own destiny right away, and it's the new, this the day to do it. All right. Zion didn't need college. Yeah. They needed we him. Need so. Zion to come on uh, chance betting. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> we'll we'll yes. coach yeah. him a little bit. We'll yeah. teach him how they do it. We got to get that going. Yeah. Uh, all right, fellas, this was amazing. Uh, Matt Belinsky, where where do the people find you? Right. Um, they can find me online pretty much all social media is uh, at Matt Belinsky M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y um, law firm is Weinberg Gonzer LLP where you can find a little more information about my professional life and uh, and you know the services that we offer um, and yeah Matt Belinsky is a dope Matt. Instagram follower I'm just <laughs> no. telling you I'm just telling you if you like looking at nice stuff Go diverse, you know, I said, said putting out a, uh, a, a number of interesting categories and trying to fight the good fight. <laughs> Scoop Jardine, always good to have you, my no, man. Thank you, thank oh, you. Man. Matt, Matt, thank you. You uh, are yeah, even better person and person. Thank you so much. <laughs> the one and only JD, thank you. And uh, we'll be coming to you all again soon. Mm -hmm.